Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, August 28th, marks our 131st program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Outpatient CDI Update, Best Practices from the Trenches. I'm joined today by my co-host at left of, of your screen there, Melissa Barnabas. Melissa is the Associate Editorial Director for us here at Actus. She's responsible for development of our Actus National Conference. In fact, we're going to be talking about that a little later on today's show. Uh, local chapter leadership, as well as Actus products, including books, webinars, e-learning, and more. And I want to welcome her to the program. Thanks for coming on, Melissa. Hey. Thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. All right. Now I'd like to introduce our two special guests today. We have with us Yvonne Whitley. Uh, Yvonne is the manager for the Novant Health Ambulatory Clinical Documentation Improvement Team. Yvonne was one of the first clinical documentation specialists tasked with creating this new department for Novant Health's medical group back in September in 2013, as well as building one of the first ambulatory CDI programs in the country. And I always have to have her on anything ambulatory outpatient CDI we do for that reason. <laughs> um, she now leads a very robust team that supports much of Novon Health's medical group of over 530 physician locations and over 2,500 providers. So quite a busy uh, job for her, and I'm pleased to have her on today's show. Uh, welcome, Yvonne. Thank you. Okay. And we also have with us today Jessica Vaughn. Uh, Jessica is the manager of outpatient clinical documentation excellence at Wake Forest Baptist Health. Uh, which is an academic organization located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They have over 2,800 providers and more than 232 ambulatory clinics. Um, by way of background, Jessica has over eight years of CDI experience. You probably have seen her like Yvonne. She's an active, uh, excuse me, an active member uh, in our local chapter membership, the North Carolina chapter, as well as national actus. She has a uh, diverse 22 years of nursing experience in the acute care and ambulatory settings and is going to be a uh, presenter at our upcoming uh, Actus uh, Symposium Outpatient CDI program this November in Austin. I'm thrilled to have her on the show as well. So welcome, uh, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Brian. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to start, as I always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. You should be seeing that uh, up on your screen. Here we go. The question reads, if you don't currently have an outpatient CDI program or department, what is stopping you? And your options are, we don't have a workable model. We're going to be talking about some models today of how these programs can operate. Uh, maybe you don't see a clear return on investment for outpatient CDI. Uh, lack of staff or dedicated resources and time. Probably all identify with that one. Uh, maybe you are already engaged in outpatient CDI or not applicable. 
Again, if you don't currently have an outpatient CDI program or dedicated department, what is stopping you? Is it a lack of a workable model, no clear ROI, uh, lack of staff or dedicated resources and time? Uh, you are engaged in outpatient CDI or again, not applicable, realizing that not everyone's maybe partnered with uh, clinics or physician practices or maybe is not in CDI at the moment. All right, I'm seeing about 70% of our audience that have voted, so I'm gonna give folks just one more minute to get their answers in, and as we always do, we'll, we will come back to uh, these results in just a few minutes. All right, well, as I mentioned, our guests are Yvonne Whitley and Jessica Vaughn. Uh, Thanks, guys, for being a part of the Actus podcast. I know you've been on before, but it's been a little while. I want to welcome you back to the program. Um, you know, as I mentioned, especially with Yvonne, uh, the great thing about our guests today uh, is that both are part of relatively mature outpatient CDI programs. I'm not sure how we're defining that, but have at least a few years of experience, and in Yvonne's case, more like uh, six at least under her belt, running a successful outpatient CDI program. So, you know, Yvonne, why don't we start with you? Um, just just for context for our audience, could you talk a little bit about how your program operates at a high level? Really interested in things like, you know, the types of records you would review and the approximate workflow. Uh, is, it, is it retrospective or prospective or concurrent? And, and sort of what your basic metrics uh, of success are. Sure. So um, I'll start out by saying that we have a team of nurses that cover all of our PCPs. And we have developed, because there are really no tools out there to be able to use for data and analytics for um, ambulatory CDI, we've developed a tool and use that looks at um, our providers, um, how, they, how they look measured by cost and their risk scores. So we will prioritize our providers at the beginning of the year to target who we need to see first. And those are ranked by if they're a high cost provider and they have low risk scores. So then we um, meet with our providers if they've never had a CDI touch point yet. We meet with them face to face, either one on one or as a group in the clinic and talk about risk adjustment, RAF, HCC, specificity with diagnoses. Then about three months later, we'll go visit them again, allow them to kind of um, develop their patient panel, if they're a new provider, especially if they're new to um, Novant Health, so that we can then take a look at their charts for review. And we look and send for prospective queries. So we look at patients that they may be seeing in a couple of days, look for opportunities for specificity. We sort of look for some of the biggest opportunities those are diagnoses for major depression, morbid obesity, diabetes, dependence. Um, and we'll formulate a query. We have a template that we use that is sent as a staff message through their in-basket in Epic. That's our EMR. And it's very easy for them to reply. And then we'll go back and check after the um, visit has occurred on that data service to see if a provider had replied with whatever diagnosis. Did they actually use it at that visit? And was it supported with documentation? And we can reply back to them with feedback on, um, you know, hey, I saw you use this diagnosis, but your documentation didn't support, um, just as a reminder and further education. 
and we try to query them um, at least once a quarter. Once they've had a visit from us face-to-face, we may um, revisit them if we see that they're struggling or having difficulties still. And so for our metrics, um, that's another thing that's a very manual process we've developed. It gathers all sorts of things, you know, typical things you would think of, how many providers you sent a query to, you know, how many got returned, what were their, um, you know, agree, disagree, um, was there a face-to-face -face visit? Um, the other thing that we do, and this is something that was uh, new that we did this year, it's very impactful for leadership to see, and that is we will take a look at what the patient's basically HCC score is before the query and then after the query, and if it was submitted on a claim, the diagnosis supported by documentation, then we can take that difference between what the score is now versus what it was and kind of apply that to a general per member per month extrapolate out for the year so that we can show leadership, hey, look, this is what this query did to impact our um, yearly expected costs. And that's a pretty cool thing to see because it can be pretty impactful um, based on just the queries that we sent and how that can raise the expected cost for your population. We don't bucket it out into different payers. It's just a general overall, you know, for all of our payers in Medicare that can show us this increase to our predicted, predicted costs. Um, the other thing we also look at is at year end, we can run along with quarterly, what has our impact been with our providers in using um, a morbid obesity diagnosis for those patients with BMIs greater than 40 and then major depression, was it unspecified and now it's specified? And those are reports we can run and take a look and see the trends that are happening. Um, the other thing that our team is used for in the beginning of the year is to help with uh, QPP reporting, quality payment program reporting, formerly known as, long time ago, the Physician Quality Reporting System, PQRS, and those are quality measures that have to be submitted to Medicare every year for MIPS. And whatever our EMR can't extract, then our team sort of digs in and pulls out that data to be able to send um, to um, CMS for reporting. Gotcha. Basically what we do in a nutshell. That's quite a bit. I appreciate that, Yvonne. <laughs> That's fantastic. Let's, uh, let's pull in uh, Jessica here and have uh, Jessica, if you don't mind, talking a little bit about your program. Thanks, Melissa. Um, so similar to Novant, uh, we are entering our fifth year. Um, we review risk-based contracts for our primary care and general internal medicine physicians and APPs. We have around 120,000 lives in risk-based contracts right now. Just due to sheer volume and resources, we look at um, a little over 30% of those are Medicare Advantage. So our focus, our current focus is um, are those Medicare Advantage contracts. We have eight CDS, um, CDSs, they're all nurses. Some of them also have coding credentials. Seven of them are assigned to specific regions, while one works exclusively as a clinical documentation analyst, and we just changed that this past April. She is specifically focused on reviewing billing data and revenue reconciliation on the back end, um, sort of like Yvonne, you were mentioning, um, looking at the queries that are sent on the CDI side, she's looking for the, specifically the queries that were sent. Did that show a return on investment? How did that adjust um, RAF or did it adjust RAF? 
And that's really interesting for our leadership to see. So um, that, that proves our purpose, right? The CDS is also, they work remotely, but they're also required to travel and um, they're required to do physician education as well. They review patients prospectively about two to three days before the patient's scheduled to come in. We're also an EPIC shop, so they work off an EPIC workbench report, and that report is built off a payer registry. Um, we have folks who keep up our registry data based upon our Medicare Advantage population, and they have internal and external criteria that they look at that drive them to look at specific physicians, similar once again to Novant's. Um, we look at high costs. We also look at a few other things. We have a vendor tool that we work in tandem with so we are able to look at um, something called RAF gaps, looking at year-over-year -year HCCs that were diagnosed last year, had they been captured this year, those sort of things. So we're able to trend that as well. We work in tandem with that tool. It's not a CDI tool, um, but it is helpful to our calls. We also send queries through EPIC. We send those through a best practice advisory um, or a BPA. You may know it. It's more of the quality platform. Um, we find that useful because the physicians are already seeing BPAs for their quality initiatives. And we also, I, I tell people we ride the quality um, coattails because quality, when they go in and do their education, we go in with them and talk a little bit about risk-based contracts and how we can really help, um, you know, improve accuracy, um, the opportunity there for, to improve accurately. That's what I want to say, um, our risk-based contracts. As far as metrics, I, we have lots of metrics that we look at, and many of them are your traditional CDI metrics. And of course, we struggle, like most outpatient programs, to reflect ROI due just to the predictive modeling nature of risk contracts. So I think it's important to point out that especially when building a new program, that you shouldn't limit yourself to what success looks like. Most outpatient programs begin from those of us who have an inpatient CDI side of things. And so we may be a bit skewed, if you will, to see that success through an inpatient lens, but you quickly find out an outpatient that some of the more traditional CDI metrics you may have to adjust a little bit. And, and that's, of course, um, dependent upon your individual program. And so an example of that will be at how you look at query outcomes. So we monitor those traditional CDI metrics like query response, average daily reviews, query average, and we, of course, have an audit score um, that, that we audit them on their queries to make sure they're compliant, et cetera. But our query responses are, are essentially that, a query response. And we report that to our leadership, but within that, we had to look at, for instance, um, when we follow up, a no response may not necessarily be a bad thing. And what I mean by a prospective query and outpatient is only as good as the assignment of the front desk staff. So if an assignment is for a follow-up and a CDS queries on, on a diagnosis, then it may not be appropriate for that visit. But we don't really know that ahead of time. So we had to create things like um, a response of not appropriate for this visit which is truly the case, and it's not the CDS's fault, and it's not the provider's fault. So those are the sort of oddities that you may find in outpatient that you wouldn't typically find on the inpatient setting. Um, so, so that's us in a nutshell. Right. Unlikely to have a not appropriate for this visit on the inpatient side, I'm going to guess. <laughs> Correct. I would hope not. <laughs> right. Interesting. You know, so similar programs with some different wrinkles and um, – 
you know, we, we always say in Actus that no two CDI programs are alike, and that's certainly the case, especially in the outpatient side. Um, you know, so much to talk about here, but, you know, maybe I thought we could just talk a little bit about some of those common conditions that your CDSs are reviewing for that, that are maybe, you know, just frequently under-documented by physicians that, that do have an impact on those risk scores. Are there any particular disease processes or chronic conditions that, that you guys are, are seeing and educating your physicians on that would maybe help our listeners out a little bit here today? Maybe Yvonne's yeah. talking to you. Yvonne, um, like I mentioned, major depression and morbid obesity were very easy pickings for us because um, they typically are diagnoses that some providers really don't like using those words or attaching. Um, and so it's really a lot of education that's gone out. It's important to um, be as specific as possible so your patients will be cared for appropriately, get the referrals that they need, et cetera. Right. Um, the other thing is, too, providers aren't coders, so they are not familiar, familiar with you know, what is a specific diagnosis then? Tell me what that means. Because they're not a coder in the code book and see all these, they know there's tons of diagnoses, but many are unsure of, well, what is more specific, say, this is very general, but for diabetes, you know, they, they don't necessarily know that there's a diabetes with renal complication diagnosis or something like that. And hmm. the same for, um, you know, if it's in remission, you know, all the specificities that are required, especially since ICD-10 came out, it's 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 just something that they're not typically used to. I, I agree. Um, depression is always at the top of our list and diabetes. I, those are the two um, that I can think of off the top of my head. I will say that our CDE analyst role is integral in helping with this since she tracks all of our query diagnoses. One that came up just in the last few months is aortic atherosclerosis, which is one that we that we would call a quote unquote easy opportunity for CDI because it's often found on scans. However, we have to be cautious on our side because we don't just want to blindly query for that because it could just be an incidental finding, right? So um, we're really careful to educate both our CDI folks and our providers, you know that. Just make sure if we query you for that, you know, there is that clinical significance there. You know, make sure that those supporting elements are there to back up, you know, if we're going to document this, that, that it is being um, accurately assessed or, you know, it meets the meat. You know, it's managed, assessed, mm -hmm. and or treated. Um, and in planning for managed Medicaid, I don't know, um, you know, Yvonne and I sit about a mile away from each other. So North Carolina, <laughs> I believe, just a couple of nights ago passed managed Medicaid. And, um so, so we're starting to look into that, and so we are starting to educate our providers a bit about the codes that may affect their pediatric risk adjustment scores, such as asthma, those things that we don't often discuss in adults. You're right, Jessica. Um, we've been um, trying to stay ahead of the Medicaid managed care curve, and I've done a lot of studying about the specific risk adjustment model that's used in our state. Um, every state could use maybe a different model, and so it's important to understand, at least for CDI, which diagnoses have value, and it's important to, again, give that information to providers about specificity, because this has got a, will have a huge impact on especially the pediatric and OBGYN providers. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I am. Um 
Not sure if we have a couple of minutes left uh, in time for this, Brian, but um, I know both of these wonderful folks were also instrumental on the CCDSO certification committee. And I was wondering if we could switch gears a little bit and just chat about that. I know they both helped out. Uh, we're working on getting the CCDSO study guide prepared so that people have a tool to uh, prepare for the exam. But I wonder if uh, we could take a, just a quick minute to talk about that. Yeah, this was a it was a challenging exam to put together certainly, and, and Yvonne and Jessica's ex expertise was certainly appreciated. Um, you know, I I think the biggest thing for all of us was just trying to figure out the the mean or the average, right? Because again, again, CD outpatient CDI is defined differently. We've been talking a lot about HCCs and risk today, but that's not even how everyone that's not everyone's principal uh, review target or uh, key metric you know we have folks that are looking at observation cases or emergency department um, you know utilization or in some cases things like you know uh, chemotherapy drugs and, and denials because of medical necessity you know and uh, making sure that the physicians documented the diagnosis when appropriate that's going to get those those procedures or drugs or services paid so very challenging to come up with an outline, but I think what we had to do ultimately was compare all these different programs that have been operating and come up with sort of the baseline for what folks were using and um, and basing the outline and exam on that. So kudos to these guys for putting together, helping us put together this uh, certification program. We're really pleased with it and we hope our new examinees are too. Um, any, any last thoughts on that, Jessica and Yvonne, before we move on here? Um, just an honor to be a part of it. I think it, it can help set some standards for outpatient right. CDI. Um, it, I, I learned a lot just participating in it, so thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. have to say the exact same thing. It was an honor to do it. It was such hard work, but it was so worth it and also learned learned a lot. I think it's a great all-around exam to show that when you pass this, you are definitely an expert in this field. Yeah, and it was it's not collaborating an, with all the different the coding nurses, providers, all of you. It was a great, a great collaboration. Was not an easy. It's not an easy exam, nor was it an easy one to create. But, but again, great job. All right, let's let's bounce back to our poll question. Um, again, we asked folks uh, if you currently have an outpatient. Excuse me, if you don't currently have an outpatient CDI program or department, what's stopping you? Uh, and so here's our results. Uh, majority said uh, lack of staff or dedicated resources and time, 35%. That's the big obstacle. 27% um, of, of our attendees are engaged in outpatient CDI, which is encouraging. That's probably about average. We're seeing between 25-30%. Um, it's right, right on in terms of penetration of outpatient. Um, the, the other obstacles were 14% don't have a workable model. 6% don't see a clear ROI, and 19% uh, not applicable. So any thoughts on these poll results? Uh, maybe start with Yvonne and over to Jessica. Um, I think the lack of staff or dedicated resources and time. To me, I think if leadership were really if they really could understand what value-based care entails and could be educated a little bit about what 
an ambulatory CDI or outpatient CDI program could do and what that can do to help with patient care and, um, you know, costs, quality and costs, I don't think they would be so slow to drag their feet on starting up a program. You would want to make time to find staff, get them trained, and make the time for it. So I think it will catch up eventually. I really do because of what I've seen with the work we've done and our leadership response to, you know, like, you know, like, oh, wow, this is great, kind of all the time about our work. So I think it'll catch up. It, it just, right. I just really believe it'll catch up. How about you, Yvonne? Any thoughts here? Um, oh, I, <laughs> I agree. It's okay. Jessica. It's okay. For um, <laughs> I know, right? Um, I agree with Yvonne. Um, I mean, that does not surprise me at all. I, I think we're asked to do more and more with less resources, right? As far as return on investment, you know, we've spoke we've spoken to that a little bit already. Um, I, I would encourage folks to be creative. You know, outpatient CDI doesn't look the same for everyone. And if if folks are having a hard time, if your administration is having a hard time seeing um, the model or the return on investment, find the one place. You know, talk to your coding department, you know, because not all of us, you know, like, for instance, our um, team, our department is not part of coding, um, but we we speak with them. We work with them so closely. We work with quality. Find the areas. I guarantee you some area needs your help. And if you can find that and drive that to your leadership, then that's going to be your return on investment. And that's going to be where you find those opportunities and you can show, you can find your model. So, so be open and think out of the box. Be creative to find, accomplish those tasks. Right. Great. Great advice there. I wanted to bounce quickly to our couple final show elements here. So we're going to move to In the News. Um, in the News is a regular segment featuring latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. And folks, this is a big one here. I'm showing a story from Modern Healthcare entitled uh, Baylor Wins FCA, which is False Claims Act, case over alleged fraudulent upcoding. Um, this is here on the Modern Healthcare site was where I initially saw it. We've been reporting on it, of course, in, in act as well. Um, just briefly, this is this could be a whole uh, you know program in and of itself. But uh, the article reads: Baylor Scott and White beat a False Claims Act whistleblower suit on Monday, which at the time was August 5th, a couple weeks ago, that claimed the Texas healthcare giant wrongly billed Medicare for more than 61.8 million over seven years. Uh, there was a U.S. District Judge David Ezra of Texas who dismissed this whistleblower's complaint which alleged that a Baylor executive created an upcoding scheme to systematically overcharge Medicare. Uh, some great detail in the story here, uh, but essentially the judge um, looked at an old CMS regulation that I think most of our listeners may have heard of. If not, it's worth familiarizing yourself. The, it's from the 2008 IPPS uh, rule that says um, the agency referring to CMS does not believe there is anything inappropriate, unethical, or otherwise wrong with hospitals taking full advantage of coding opportunities to maximize Medi Medicare payment that is supported by documentation in the medical record. Um, it's a, it's really something else to hear a judge quote this and have this be, um, you know, a, a ruling that other potential cases could be used as precedent. Um, I think it's frankly a 
it puts to rest any lingering allegations about the ethics of the CDI profession that once in a while still come up. I hear them from time to time. Um, have to say that, of course, CDI is about much more than just reimbursement, of course. We know this, but it is, I do appreciate seeing that quote uh, reporting the most accurate and specific codes to maximize reimbursement. We don't even typically use that word in Actus, but that's perfectly justified when they're supported by the severity of the patient. It is the system we're working in and that we've been given by CMS. Um, I don't necessarily consider this case a cause for celebration, but it's a reminder that CDI programs must remain vigilant and do the right thing. But it's also a reminder that when you're working hard to do the right thing, that, that there's no ethical issues here. The profession is a sound one. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that Baylor was able to get the decision to fall in their favor here. I'm just curious, Jessica or Yvonne, if you guys have any thoughts about this article. Sure, I think it's fantastic because I think it will keep providers from being gun shy um, about upcoding and not wanting to use very specific codes because um, you know they need to code correctly and it's it's not about always worrying about what code am I using but it's more about taking care of this patient so that's mm -hmm. this makes me happy right and I agree I think we have to look at the world of the EHR the world that we're in that is constantly transforming words into codes into data that is then dispelled out into the world for everyone to see and if that's not accurate then what are we really looking at there's you know there's no research that can be done on inaccurate data there is but it won't be accurate research right so I think you have to look a little more deeply and say yes we are in the business of healthcare and our business is accurately reflecting what we do so, so right. yeah I think it's a win so Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Again, as I always do, I will provide a link to this uh, in the show notes. All right. I wanted to wrap up with a, a very important Actus update. I'm showing you the actus.org homepage and some news here that we have extended the window to speak uh, for speaker applications for our 2020 Actus conference. We're going to be uh, back in Las Vegas, uh, May 5 through 8 at the beautiful Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And we're currently recruiting speakers and looking for your special session to be on the podium. Uh, I'm going to have Melissa just talk briefly about this, how the process works, and maybe a couple ideas for what our, what our, our conference committee is looking for. So I'll turn it over to you here, Melissa. Sure. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Uh, so the Actus Conference Committee, believe it or not, has been meeting uh, fairly continuously since almost as soon as the uh, 2018 conference ended. And uh, we talked about a number of different uh, session possibilities and ideas that we'd like to have on stage. We're going to be continuing with our most of our tracks as uh, their traditional um, you know, our coding and clinical track and our regulatory update and uh, quality track, as well as, um, you know, CDI expansion and various CDI in various settings. So those will be our, our principal tracks, but we're also open to any kind of new and innovative ideas that folks may have and want to put forward. And generally speaking, those who've been to Actus know well that the, the focus and the intent of the Actus conference is to share your stories, is to have us as a community 
sharing our experiences and our tools and our best practices with each other so that we can lift all of us who are working in the profession showing by example so if you've got a great story to share or you've put in a, a really interesting physician education opportunity you know go ahead and submit your application and and you might get chosen to speak so there is a pretty rigorous uh, process involved related to the uh, application um, so it might do you well to think give a little bit of thought get together with your colleagues um, but then do go ahead and, and take a look at the application and go ahead and fill it out um, we did extend the application deadline out a couple of weeks um, folks were saying you know we're we're scrambling a little bit to get their information together by the the previous deadline uh, what with summer vacations and all so um, hopefully this will give you a little bit more time to get your applications in and we look forward to hearing from you great yeah and uh, just as a reminder too if you're if you're selected to speak you get complimentary admission to the conference so we waive your admission fees so please do get your ideas in if you do have any questions you can email Melissa um, you can get her on the uh, on the website mvarnavis at actus.org, certainly myself as well. So get those ideas in. All right, you know, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. Uh, we're going to see you back here, of course, in two weeks for our next episode and our final uh, outpatient-specific episode uh, leading up to our symposium, Tackling the Problem List which we understand is a problem for many organizations. Thanks, folks. I'm here all week. Um, <laughs> as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests or ideas about the format of the show, you can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. I love to hear your ideas, and I'll try to work those in. If not, we'll see you back here in two weeks. And uh, thanks again to Yvonne and Jessica for being on today's show. And take care, everyone.